Welcome to the KMLD Personal Growth Podcast with your host, Carl Murray. Each week, we discuss relevant personal growth topics and how each can grow into whom God intended us to be. Good morning, Africa, and welcome to Ushauri on Impulse Radio Africa. I'm your host, Carl Murray, and today we are digging into identity and what that means for you and for your business. The last few weeks, we looked at purpose, uh, and at some point we got in, got sidetracked and got into some fairly heated discussions and questions uh, on some of the issues we are having in Africa, uh, including self-sabotage, which we do more often than we think. And after the show, I spent a bit of time reflecting on, on the whole issue of self-sabotage and how we in Africa are preventing our own progress uh, and setting ourselves up for failure very often. And, and, and in this reflective process, I kept going back to the issue of identity. So that's what we're going to spend time on today. We are going to look at the different types of identity, what forms our identity, and then how we can work with that and adjust our thinking to improve how we do things. Before we do that, we're going to break for a, a quick music intro. Um, and at the same time, we want to thank our, our sponsors for making this, this show possible. Uh, the Impulse Media Africa Group, who provides a fusion of different African media platforms, was established in 2020 and is daily reducing the gap between different African cultures. You can contact the Impulse Media Group through Impulse Radio Africa on plus two seven six seven triple six nine one five zero or plus two seven eight seven. 654-2878. You can also email them at info at impulseradioafrica.online. Enjoy the music and we'll be back right after the break. Thank you. Welcome back. Just a, a quick note. I am not yet back in the studio. I am still in Malawi, so this is a recording that will be broadcast online. Um, when I'm back, when we will have our, our guests back in the studio um, and we'll have a bit more engagement. But uh, please bear with us for the next uh, next few shows while I finish up what uh, what needs to be done in Malawi and then we get back to business as usual. Okay, so as we said before, before the music break, a lot of the issues that we are experiencing in Africa uh, centers around our identity. Uh, this past week I had some good discussions with, uh, with guys from uh, some of the universities in Malawi as well as business people, and we, we touched on, on the topic quite, quite regularly of, of how we as, as people in Africa sabotage ourselves, and, and at the same time we sabotage those that we, we work with, uh, other people that might, might succeed. And again, we, we kept circling back to identity as being one of the, the big issues. Now, when we look at identity, this is not the thing that's printed on your ID card or your passport. We're talking about something deeper than that, that, uh, that, that thing that defines who you are. If you look back at uh, the, the past shows that we had in the last few weeks where we spoke about the logical levels uh, of change or the neurological levels of change, we, we touched on identity and, and we looked at how identity is has the power to affect other parts of our lives. If we look at that pyramid that we drew, uh, where we started with purpose and then down to identity, and we work our way through to the basic things that, that define our lives and where we operate. 
identity plays a really, really big part. And after these discussions, and, and as I thought about this week's show, I, I looked back a little bit on my own life and, and how my identity has formed where I am today and also my decisions, because you base all your decisions on who you think you are. Your identity forms so much of those things. And as a, as a basic concept, your identity never really, really changes. Your true self never changes. And it reminded me of, uh, of a time when I was still working for the shipping company Maersk. This was way back in, uh, in 90, from, from 99 around there. Um, I was with a, with a MERS group. It's a very big shipping company. And in my journey through this organization, we were exposed to psychometric tests and psychometric analysis. And the, the initial understanding I had of psychometric tests and analysis is that it's all BS. It's a bunch of nonsense that uh, people who thought they were too clever thought up to make a little bit more money. But... I'll correct that. <laughs> My opinion has changed significantly. And I even now use psychometric tests with my clients, both on the corporate and the private side, because they do work. If you truly understand them and you understand how they can impact your life, they work. So when, when, when the Maersk shipping line bought the, the company that I was working for at the time, Satmarine, we were all subjected to, to a psychometric test called the Predictive Index. Or the prior index, and and I, I when I looked at the questionnaire, which was fairly simple, you had uh, two or double sided printed page, and you had fifty personality traits marked on either side of the piece of paper. The one side you had to mark how you think people see you. So the the list included words like confident, uh, reassuring, nervous, impatient, etc. And when you were done answering the first side, and it was simple tick marks, multiple choice, so it's not that difficult, but it does need a bit of reflection. You need to look at, you need to look at yourself and look at your current situation. And because this was a work environment, we, we had to give our answers based on how we believe people see us in that work environment. So if you believed that your colleagues saw you as a helpful person, then you would go through that list and find the word helpful and, and so on. So until you got through that list, you were answering it from a very objective point of view, from the, the, the stance of your colleagues. Now, when you were done with that, you flipped the page. Um, and on the second side, you had to answer questions the same set of 50, 50 words that you had to select, but you had to now mark them to show how you truly believe deep down inside you are. So how you see yourself. This was a little bit more difficult because you, you, you <laughs> I, I tried not to be too arrogant, I guess it would be the right word to describe it. I wanted to be modest, but the... The, the person in the front who was facilitating the whole exercise, when we started with the second side, reminded us that you have to be 100% honest about who you think you are, what your personality traits are. And the idea was, for example, uh, with impatience, 
If you are only impatient in certain circumstances, so if I'm only impatient when I'm at the KFC drive-through or sitting somewhere waiting at the in a, in a queue at the bank, if that was the only time I was impatient, then I do not mark impatient as a personality trait. But if in general, as an overall, I am impatient to wait for things to get done, I'm always pushing, always rushing to get things completed quickly, then impatient is a personality trait that you mark. So I completed the, the assessment and I handed it in and I was skeptical. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't expect any miracles to come out of this thing because I have read how people can manipulate these things and all that. Anyway, I handed it in and a couple of weeks later they, they, they called me in and they said, listen, Carl, your profile is perfect for what we need. Now, despite my skepticism, there it seemed that now, because of the things that I marked on that sheet, uh, I was in demand. And who doesn't want to be in demand? So we went through it and they gave me a little bit of feedback. And as they gave the feedback, I'm like, wow, you know, this, this thing really works. Because the way they described my personality and how I saw myself and believed I was it really resonated with me and I could see myself in the feedback that I was getting. Now this opened up new doors and, uh, and a new program that I then joined to accelerate my growth through the organization, which was a really fun experience. That's for another day. But a couple of months later, I was then taught how to use the system because I had to start interviewing people and I had to engage and look for certain talent for the organization. And going through the training, you get a much deeper understanding of how these things work. Now, on the feedback form that we, that we got, one of the sections um, was the self-concept. Self-concept, so, so that is the part where we see ourselves, the true self. And the self-concept is what we're going to spend a little bit of time on today because in essence, your self-concept, your identity, does not really ever change. Now, even though I'm saying it cannot really change, let's maybe include a small caveat in there. Your, your core identity, who you are at the core, can be changed by traumatic, life-changing experiences. The, the loss of a child or a parent. Um, being hijacked, uh, being attacked by someone, being robbed at gunpoint, those things can have an effect and make changes to your, your core personality. But your daily surroundings, the way you live, your culture, that does not really change deep down who you are and what your personality is. So let's, let's look a little bit more at the self-concept. Um, we're going to dig into how that is formed um, and, and then you can try and see in your life what things have had an effect on forming your identity. And maybe where you are now being misled by social identity, which we will also touch on. Social identity is the identity we are given or forced to assume by social structures like social media and mainstream media. So to put some of, uh, some of these concepts into perspective, um, I'll, I'll relate a bit of my story. Um, we, we, we grew up not, not super wealthy. Um, we were far from that. <laughs> we, had, we had lots of 
in lots of difficult times. Uh, and I, in one or two shows before, I have commented on how much I respect my my late mom for what she had gone through in raising us. And I never really understanding that as a kid. Um, but in later life, you you do understand those things. Um, let's not get sidetracked. Otherwise, I'll spend the <laughs> I'll spend the whole show talking about my mom. So. We grew up in a small town, uh, Wetbank in Malahleni in South Africa, in Pumalanga, that's the eastern part of the country. And for, for as much as, for, for much of the time growing up, I, I kind of saw my life living itself out within that environment. And, but as we, as my mom had an impact on us and, and always through what she did, made us aspire to more we started shifting out of that environment. So there, I believe, was a, the first part of an identity being formed. The fact that I did not see myself fitting in in that environment on a long-term basis and that I had to change. Anyway, we moved to the coast um, and, and that's where I started working. Now, my career with, within the shipping industry with Maersk was for, for 10 years. Now, we used to joke to say that uh, those of us, I, I mentioned the program that I was accepted into uh, or asked to join, the development of Fast Track program. It was called the Maersk International Shipping Education. It still exists. Uh, it's a very, very selective um, program. I think in the year that I joined, they had 3,000 uh, people that were selected out of 64,000 applicants. So, so we thought we were the bee's knees. And because of that, we started developing what we thought was our identity. People used to tease us and say we have blue blood. Uh, the most colors are blue and white. So people said we had blue blood. If you cut us, blue blood will come out. And, and, and I, I moved throughout Africa with Musk. And at some point I decided, okay, the corporate world was not that exciting for me anymore. And I wanted to find a different a different thing to do, and I joined a transport company in, in, in Mozambique and then later in Zambia. Now, in this process, I developed uh, an identity, a concept of, of, of who I was, but this was my external identity, how people see me. Remember, our, our self-concept, we said, cannot really change. So, through the these years, I started being known as this guy that does this business. And that's how people knew me. Uh, random guys on the street would come up to me and say, hey, Mr. So-and-so, you're the manager of this company. Please, can I have a job? And these are guys you never met before. So the identity grew out there and I started adopt adopting that. Now, in my time uh, with Maersk and, uh, and this other company, I, I got married. Um, my then wife had a son, an awesome young man. Well, he was a little boy then. He's a young man now. And eventually uh, we, we had a baby, Carmen, my, my little princess. And, and through this process, I, I assumed one, the adopt, uh, I adopted the, the identity within this company and within what I do. So what I did, I assumed as a perceived identity. Uh, then I saw myself as a father and as a husband. Now, through the years, things happened and we ended up getting divorced. So my identity that I had as the, the family man, uh, I, of course, I was still a father and I, I still loved both um, Alexander and Carmen as much as ever. 
but I was no longer a husband. So that meant I was no longer the family man. And, and people had come to know me as the guy who's always around with, uh, with his kids. So I had an identity, an identity shift um, of how I thought people see me and that affected me inside. I then started uh, the, the coaching and I started identifying as a coach. The, the, the coaching business also then meant that I had to transition from formal employment into self-employment. And I started a few businesses on the side um, and life, life was going on quite nicely. I, I then reached a point where, where I had to leave Zambia where, where I was living at the time. And I found myself back in South Africa um, trying to start over. There was another shift in, in my perceived identity of myself. That carried on. I ended up buying a business. Uh, again, another shift in identity. A couple of years later, ended up <laughs> selling the business. You can see where I'm going with this, right? There are certain events that I've gone through that changed how I thought people see me and that impacted how I saw myself. It never changed who I truly was inside, but purely my perception of who I was. And in my reflecting the, the last couple of days, I, I had to look at these life changes the, that, that I went through and, and some which were not fun. Um, I wouldn't call them traumatic. Um, there, there were definitely periods where I was less happy than before and where I questioned a lot of things in life. But they were not the, the things that truly changed who, who I was. And, and in this process, I started looking deeper at the self-concept. And within the self-concept, we have three main areas that define that self-concept, how we see ourselves. Uh, and the, the first one is the ideal self. That is the one that, the, the person that we want to be. That is what we aspire to be. And if we go back again to the logical levels, that takes us to that, that very first level, the, or the top level, the purpose, comes in here. Because what we aspire to drives us into our purpose. The second part of the self-concept is our self-image. And that's how we see ourselves right now. Those, th that includes our attributes like our physical characteristics. Are you fat? Are you growing a little belly? Are you tall? Are you short? Are you, do you feel you are ugly? Uh, do you feel you are very attractive? Those things determine our self-image. And that also ties in a little bit with confidence, which takes us to the third part of the self-concept, which is our self-esteem. Um, how much we like or value ourselves. Now, and, and that one is impacted by many, many things. That is probably the, out of those three that form our self-concept, uh, that is the, 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 the softest one, the most malleable one that can be influenced by other things. But because it is tied to the self-image and to the ideal self, that is the first part that we can look at when, when we are thinking that there's an identity crisis going on, that we... We don't seem to be who we want to be or we feel we have a, a false identity that people see. That is where we need to start digging into it. But before we do that, let's take a quick music break. Uh, go grab a cup of coffee, turn up the volume, enjoy the music. And then once we are back, 
we'll start unpacking the effects that uh, society has on our self-esteem and how that affects us. And then we're going to draw that back and circle right back to that issue of, of our identity and self-sabotage in Africa. Enjoy the music. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This next segment is brought to you by AEP NMR, a boutique advisory consulting firm established in 2013. It's a 100% black-owned and female-managed organization with an advisory structure and expertise of industry specialists that they tap into to deliver the top value to their customers and partners. You can get in touch with AEP NMR on plus two seven one zero one four one double zero double five or you can email them at info at aep-nmr.com that's info at aep-nmr.com great with your cup of coffee or your glass of water in hand now let's carry on now within that self-concept of ours uh, there are two more identity portions in which we classify um, how how our self-concept is formed. And the one is the personal identity, personal identity, which is the self-concept. And then we have the social identity. And the social identity is the one that is sort of forced onto us by mainstream media, by your social circles. For me, my social identity stemmed from how I was seen as a family man, how I was seen as a company because of the company that I worked for and the exposure that I had from that. So that is your social identity. And right now, I think we're in a time in, in our world where we, we get submitted quite often to, to pressure to adopt different social identities. And, and these identities that we adopt, th this is stuff that we are bombarded with every single day. And, and one of the, I, I guess, the, the ones that are most in our face, and, and in some African countries it's still a very, very difficult uh, topic to discuss, is LGBTQ. We, we have, as if you are a religious person or a person of faith, there are certain things you believe. Even if you are just a conservative type people, it doesn't matter what country you live in, you have a certain set of beliefs that, uh, that, that you think is right according to you. Now, from a social aspect, the LGBTQ movement is, is forcing us to, to revisit and realign our thinking and our acceptance of, of topics that maybe in the past we would have seen as taboo or unacceptable. And, and it's not only on the LGBTQ front. Um, social, social justice, as we've seen it in America uh, in, in, in the last few years, with the, the Trump movement and then the BLM movement, and so many other <laughs> movements that are all based on, on socially accepted norms. Now, if, if your identity is based on the fact that you believe in a certain set of rules and norms for, for your life because of your culture or how you were raised by your parents, these issues now start pushing you into a place where you have to start questioning whether you, how you see yourself, your self-concept or your self-identity, you start questioning, am I wrong? 
is how I see things wrong. And, and inevitably, that makes people also question their faith. I've spoken to quite a few people around the LGBTQ movement where the narrative is then created that if your religion and, and Christianity says, and, and, and as Christians we believe that homosexuality is not right. And I know that is a contentious thing to say, but it is a fact. That is what, uh, what we believe, and we believe the Bible guides us uh, according to that as well. But now, it, now we are being pushed into a place where we have to say, all right, is the Bible then right? Is the Bible wrong? Should we adjust what we, we believe to be right according to the times? That then brings up a whole new question. <laughs> if you can adjust one part, can't you adjust everything else? So without going too much into that part, what I'm trying to get at is if our identity is determined by fluid situations, relationships are fluid, employment is fluid, social opinions is fluid. And if you don't believe me that social opinions can be fluid, the LGBTQ movement is the exact perfect example of that. Because 20 years ago, the, the thought process and the social acceptance around LGBTQ was very different from what it is today. Another 20 years back, it was very different. And another 20 years before then, it was even more different. So it is constantly changing. And, and we must keep in mind that social norms are dictated by thought leaders. Now, a thought leader does not mean that it is somebody who, that you think is correct in their thinking. It is someone that is at the forefront of a new way of thinking, uh, and a new concept. And around LGBTQ, this is where we are exposed to this very fluid situation. When I first really understood or, or got exposed to, to the concept um, of homosexuality. To me, my understanding was just two guys. That perception changed in time to understand it can also be uh, two women that can be homosexual. Then we had the other parts that come in um, where there is now transsexual. And, and now we have non-binary where someone does not identify as a man or a woman. Now, some of these concepts to me are, are alien. I cannot wrap my head around them. It does not mean that I judge any of those guys. Please don't, uh, don't crucify me or, or start bombing me with, uh, with criticism. It is just an opinion. I, I cannot relate to that thinking. And, and even though we, we try to understand as much as we can, the fact remains that who we are is now being influenced by an external factor. Now, th these external factors that have an influence on our social identity, it's not always a negative thing. But if you do not have a clear understanding of, your, of who you truly are, and you've not identified and, and to yourself defined your identity, then it is very easy to be pushed back and forth by all these different issues. And, and some of this often comes out in politics as well. If, if you don't have a strong mind on your convictions and your beliefs, then it's quite easy for someone with a good speech to swing you and all of a sudden you believe in something else.
And, and I think even better examples are actual politicians. Um, in, <laughs> in Africa, we see it a lot, how people jump from one political party to another. I don't really follow politics uh, in most of the world, but uh, having spent a fair amount of time in, in, in Zambia and, and, and Uganda, well, what you often see is a, a politician being part of one political party, and, and he, 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 he preaches um, the manifesto of that specific party until he sees the party is going down the drain. <laughs> then, then all those things that he said he believed in and all those things that he, he had as his true convictions, all of a sudden, with a, with a snap of a finger, now he doesn't believe in them anymore and he believes exactly what the opposition believes. And these are things that they were campaigning against for years, things they were condemning the opposition parties for. So my perception of politicians is that they have no idea who the heck they are. Not all of them, these that jump back and forth like that. The, if you know who you are, what you stand for, what your identities, identity is, what your principles are, then there's no jumping back and forth regardless of how few voters your current political party is going to get at the end of the voting season. Before we make this too political, uh, and at the same time I'm going to make it more political, <laughs> Let's get back to, to our identity issue and where we started with the conversation of, in Africa, how our identity perceptions are sabot is sabotaging how we do business. We had a, a good few laughs these past few weeks. I, I have a habit wherever I go. I, I am friends with everybody. And I don't mean I want to be everybody's friend. I just, I treat every single person in the hotel where we are staying now with respect. And every person that I come into contact with, I learn their names and I will greet them by name every day. And when I'm at the breakfast table in the mornings, I, I have no desire to sit and shout at someone because the breakfast is not nice. And, and trust me, the breakfast where we are right now, it's not nice. But, but there's no need for me to take those frustrations out on the people around me. So I've made it a habit of coaching people and guiding people into a better way of doing something. And because the people around Malawi are really hungry for change, they are hungry to improve their lives, you start seeing changes come in. And, and because of this... now. The, the, the cups, <laughs> I think when I'm done with the, with the recording, I'll post a photo of the coffee cups that we are getting now. It's a, it's a Chinese hotel. Uh, so I'm assuming part of their strategy is give people small cups and they drink less coffee. So it's a cost-cutting exercise. You think you've had a cup of coffee, so you don't need another one. But it's the third of the, third of the size of a cup that I would have at home. So in the mornings, once I've had my shower, I have three or four cups before I even leave for breakfast. Anyway, we digress. Now, when they bring me a small cup of coffee, I don't complain about it. I joke about it, yes. But in time, I now have them at a point where every morning when I get into the breakfast hall, I get a big cup of coffee, a proper sized mug so that you can have a decent, decent cup of coffee. And if I leave you with any message throughout all of this, it is that you must accept that no day can start without a good cup of coffee.
But before we get off track even more, the, the engagements and the relationships that I've built with people has meant that now I am perceived already as getting preference because when everybody else walks into the breakfast hall and on any given day, um, I'm the only white guy amongst Africans and Chinese and Indians. So let's say there are 50 people in the breakfast hall, I'm maybe one of two or three white guys. Now, this <laughs> has led to quite a bit of joking uh, with our group. I'm here with uh, a colleague and good friend, um, Bright Tembo, and <laughs> he often teases the waitresses that they are racist because they are bringing me a cup and not a cup to him. But the question then you have to ask is, how often has he complained about the cup to them and asked them if they can find a bigger cup? Now, that is a, a very simple joke. But the joke led us into, into a discussion with a, a, a group of clients earlier this week when we were having a, a coffee break. You can see coffee is always present. You can't do anything without coffee, even business. When we were having a coffee break, we, we started joking about the preferences because that we, when we ordered the coffee during our break, they brought us the big cups because they know that that's what I like. And, and we started digging into this whole phenomenon that we have in Africa uh, where we, we, we set ourselves back as Africans, as black Africans, we set ourselves back thinking that you need a white guy to do the business for you. And, and I'll qualify that. I, I've been asked in the last 10, 15 years in my time in Africa, I've probably been asked to be the director or CEO of a company that I never even knew existed probably 15 or 20 times. Just because the guys who started their business had the belief that if there was no white guy involved in this business, then they would not succeed. They would not get the tender. They would not get the contract. Now, that is a wrong perception to have. But it was explained that even when they are working with other Africans and trying to do business with them, those same Africans see them as not being serious if there is no white guy on their board or on their, their management team. So th this is where we then go back to the identity and where you have to look at yourself and at your identity and define who you are. Going back to our little pyramid of the, the logical levels, we've got values and beliefs before we have our identity. Uh, you can go back on, on my Facebook page or on the Oshauri Facebook page and go and have a look at that, that little pyramid of the logical levels and you'll see what I mean. So, because our, our values and beliefs tells us that we are not enough because we are black and because people perceive us to be black, that social identity that is, that is sort of forced on us by ourselves, and, and, and that's the really rubbish part, is that we are the, the same guys who are complaining about the fact that we need to put a white guy on the board. You are enforcing that same silly belief that you need that guy there in the first place. Now, don't get me wrong. If I can open doors for people, I will gladly do that. But the perception that we have to get rid of is that is the only way that we can do business. I want to see a point where, without me making an introduction, 
you as an African business person have the confidence to walk into a meeting without the white guy there. And in 90% of the cases, the, the, the white guy who's there probably knows less than you. And, and in our case here, one of the, well, our, our client, the guy is brilliant and he's done massive research on, on the projects that, that he's working on. So often when I go into a meeting with my white face and all that, and no matter how much they tease me, I know less than him and I'm simply regurgitating what I heard him say. So, so this social concept that we have now created, that we, we need this person, is, is what is holding us back. Now, as Africans, and, and I know a lot of you are saying, yeah, but you're not an African, you're white. Fine, agreed. But I was born in Africa, I'm an African, whether you like it or not. So, as, <laughs> as Africans, we, we need to come to that point where we make a conscious decision to change that. Again, back to our pyramid. When we understand our purpose, the purpose is right at the top. That's our spiritual level. Uh, and spiritual does not mean Christ and God only. Whatever your belief is, that is really what it dictates your and defines your identity. So you've got your, your purpose and then your identity as the next level. It is at that level where you need to change. Where you need to understand that because of that purpose, that spiritual level, you are enough. That you don't need someone else to do it. Even if it means that getting the someone else in might make it easier, why do you do that? Have the confidence in yourself. Have the confidence in your colleagues. Even if it means you have to work harder, have that confidence. Put in the effort. Kick the backsides that need to be kicked of people that then frustrate you because you don't have the white guy there. And get done what needs to get done. Don't see it as an excuse that you don't have someone else there to open the door for you. Just find a way to make it happen and to make it work for you. So the, 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 the one part of not having the, the, the confidence in, in your own abilities and your own identity to believe you can get things done, that's one of the, the portions where we are self-sabotaging our, um, ourselves on the African continent. The other part that we have, and, and we spoke about this, I think, about four, four weeks ago, um, together with Kruger, Piri, and uh, Charles um, Zimunya. Sorry, <laughs> I forgot his last name there for a second. We spoke to, to Charles and, and Kruger about this, was how within the African business environment, we, we don't want to see each other succeed. If there's an opportunity for someone else to do better than you, you will do anything to sabotage him, even if it's something you are not even remotely interested in doing yourself. You just don't want to see someone else being happy. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that? And in, in, my, in my reading and my research to try and discover where, where we come from with that, it, it again brings me back to, to an, an issue of identity. Because if you know what your purpose is in life, and if you know who you are and, and how that ties into your activities every single day in your business and in your family life, then why would you, why would you care what somebody else does? 
In fact, you should be applauding them because what they do might have a direct positive impact and contribution to your identity and what it is that you want to try and get done in, in your life. Now, I, I'm not blind to the fact that there are other factors also that influence um, this self-sabotage habit that we have, uh, have within ourselves. Very often there, there are selfish motives uh, and that we see in, in development within Africa quite often. You, you will have um, a person with a brilliant investment idea and he's got the financial backing to get something done and you will find that somewhere along the line there's a direct sabotage through our, our public uh, servants, the civil servants that we have to deal with um, for self-enrichment, for ulterior motives. So I, I don't, don't get me wrong, I don't think that identity is the only reason why we self-sabotage. But if as, as an African nation and, and as an African people, we can wrap our minds around the fact that right now, Africa is the place to be. An African is the nationality or race to be. The rest of the world is saturated in terms of, of their business. And that's, that's why you are seeing China, India, the US, Israel, Europe, South Africa as, as, as part of a more developed part of Africa. Everybody is trying to get into Africa. Why is that? If we are supposed to be so inferior to the rest of the world, why does everybody from outside want to come into Africa? I mentioned before that uh, you know one of the reasons I'm in Malawi has to do with development and investment. And, and in, in, in this process, just before I actually took the trip, the, the IMF branded Malawi as one of the poorest countries, or as the poorest country in the world. But it is not. It has more resources than most European, Asian, Middle Eastern, Western countries. But for some reason, we still believe that we need an investor from China to come in to set up a mine. And, and that same mentality goes back to, to politicians. Because they don't believe that a local person from that same country can do something. Unless they have an excessive amount of money. So there's generally very little funding for those guys to do that. Which leaves the market open again for the guys from the west or, or the east or the north to come in and make the investments. So we need to adopt a mindset change, which is also something we've spoken about every single time on the show, is a mindset change or a mind shift, for, for lack of a better term. We need to understand that besides for having the natural resources, we also have the human capital, the human resources to make these things happen. Because we've not had it, of course, this, this goes way back and starts right at the bottom with education in the home, even before kids go to school. That's where that change has to start happening. We cannot change all of it at the level of the employed and working people right now. So it is a long process, but we can start with it right now. And the first, the first step to take is to reflect, to look at yourself. Do a little exercise and, and find your true identity. If you don't know how to find that, uh, that identity, pop over, it, it, grab a piece of paper and, uh, and a pen and write down 
16 personalities. So the number 16 and then the word personalities.com. 16personalities.com. That is a fun little website and it's got a few tools and assessments on there that you can run through. And, it's, and some of them are similar to the predictive index that I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that helps you see who you are and, and who you, who, what your identity is. Then do a simple exercise like that. And if, and if you feel like you're someone who cannot do these things on yourself, then find yourself a coach. There are plenty of good, talented, and really, really passionate coaches out there that can also administer psychometric tests. So find one of those guys and help them guide you to, to identifying and isolating your identity. Because once you've done that and you've worked through that process, your attention is automatically going to shift from sabotaging others or yourself because you believe you are less than you should be. And, and that's the only reason why, why some African business people want to put white people there. Because you believe you are less. And until we, we make that change and that shift, where we let people see that this is, we're not going to put a white guy or an Asian or an Indian guy there simply so you can accept our product. We are good. We know what we're talking about. So <laughs> when, when a coach can bring you into that, and you can then stand on something you firmly believe as your identity, your purpose, and your values and beliefs, then all of these other things that, that start influencing us can be shoved aside. And that is when you are going to start moving forward. And the simple, fact of you, the simple act of you doing that means that people around you are going to start asking the question, why is this guy all of a sudden doing so well? And they're going to ask you and they will observe you and they will see that instead of spending time fixing the guy that's doing better than you, you are simply focusing on your business. And they will understand that if we focus on one thing, that is where, the, where we will prosper. There, there's an old uh, Indian saying that, uh, that says that each of us have two wolves inside us. One is evil. And the other one is good. The, the evil one is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, and, and, and the list goes on. And the, the good one is joy, peace, love, serenity, compassion, faith. And, and these two wolves are in a constant battle inside you. And the one who wins is the one who controls you, who controls your mind, your body, your actions. And determining the one who wins all depends on which one you feed. So the one who's stronger is the one that is constantly fed. If you're constantly feeding the one with, with bad thoughts and bad feelings and wanting to fix your, your opponent in business or your competitor, wanting to fix this one, wanting to outdo that one from a negative stance, then that one is going to win. But if you focus on yourself, that's where your energy is focused. If you focus on your strengths, the good things in you, and you forget about all the negative things, the fact that you might need someone else or the perception that you need someone else to succeed. And you just focus on, on that identity that you've built for yourself. Then that will just go stronger and stronger and stronger. And eventually you will completely forget about these other things. Sabotaging someone else, sabotaging yourself will be a thing of the past. Because you have a very clear 
picture of where it is you are going because of your identity and your purpose being tied together. Does that make sense? I hope so. Let's take a quick break for music and then we'll tie up the show when we are back. Enjoy. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that music. I, I certainly did. And I'm finding the more I'm listening to, to music from all over Africa, the more I'm enjoying it. Right. So uh, let's, let's tie up for today. Let's bring it all together. We, we have a, what seems to be an inherent habit or tendency to sabotage ourselves in Africa. Um, and as we've discussed, some of that goes back to our identity and what we see ourselves as capable of doing and, and what we need other people for, which is not really, really the truth. It is just a perception that we have created. So when we spoke about the social identity, this issue of needing someone else to front for you to get things done, that is a social perception that has now created your social identity that you need someone else to do that. I hope you will take my advice and, and go do a few of these personality assessments or, or find a coach. If you don't know any coaches where you live, pop over to, to the Ushauri Facebook page and send, uh, send us a direct message. It's face, Facebook forward slash Ushauri. Um, send us a direct message and tell us where you live. Tell us what you want and I will gladly recommend a coach near you. I'm not going to get paid by these guys. But if we can help someone out there to find direction and to start transforming their world, then I don't see why we should not do that. Otherwise, you can head over to my personal website. It's www.carlmarie.com. That's my personal site where I, I post uh, blogs and articles and things that I write about and think about. And, and you can also get in touch with me there for coaching. I do both one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching if you're near enough to me. If you're willing to pay for me to travel, then I'll gladly do that. If you want me to coach you sitting in Mauritius, please call me right now. I would, <laughs> I would love to do that, uh, as long as you cover the expenses, of course. Or we can do virtual sessions. Feel free to, uh, to engage with, uh, with myself. Um, and if I can't help you, I will refer you to someone closer to where you are. But I think it is imperative that where we are stuck, we are not... We are not stuck in a thought process also thinking we don't need someone else. Often just speaking to someone can put things into perspective for you. And you might find that you are transformed out of the self-sabotage habit a lot sooner than you think. And, and can transform your life for you, for yourself and your, your community. That's it for, for today's show. I hope that I've touched on some, some topics and given you something that you can go back home and think about, uh, something that will help encourage you to change. And most importantly, remember, coffee is the most important part of any day. <laughs> a big cup, not a small cup. I look forward to, to engaging with you again next week. Uh, have a blessed weekend, have a safe weekend, and have a prosperous and successful week ahead. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and share. 